So I kind of took it off of the Devil Wears Prada and I just kind of changed it to the Widow Wears Pink. And that's kind of where it came from and it stuck. And I actually love it. And I guess nobody had written anything about this kind of situation before. And I, I guess I struck a nerve. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I talk with fascinating, talented, and influential guests who reflect on the adventures and challenges of aging and who are living their lives with vibrance and purpose. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist, writer, and Zestful Ager. And if you like this podcast, you'll love my companion course, Zestful Aging, Simple and Sustainable Habits for Health and Longevity. You'll have access to what I've learned from being a psychotherapist for 30 years and the latest research on what habits really matter and contribute to vibrant aging. Find out more at NicoleChristina.com. Last week, we heard from Liz Scott, who's a psychologist and a memoir writer. She wrote the book, This Never Happened, about her childhood and growing up years. Uh, She grew up in Fairfield, Connecticut, and she was told and really experienced her life as a very white Protestant young woman in Connecticut, living a very Martha Stewart kind of life. Her parents forgot to tell her that they actually descended from a long, long proud history of uh, Jewish ancestry. And that is just the beginning of the deception. And next week, we're going to hear from John Leyland, who's a New York Times columnist and the author of Happiness is a Choice. It's a fascinating book where John interviews and spends time among the oldest old and learns some really beautiful lessons that uh, are life-changing. I think you're really going to enjoy that. Well, I have my Jack Russell Terrier Sparky beside me, my coffee in my hand, so let's begin. Today we're speaking with Stacy Feintuck, who was a stay-at-home mom in 2011 when her husband suddenly passed away from a heart attack. After a few difficult years, she started the blog, The Widow Wears Pink, which helped her reach other widows and help them through their journeys. Last year, Stacy started a website, Living the Second Act, with her partner Mimi Golub, which is geared towards women in their 40s and 50s who are moving towards their next chapter. Welcome to the show, Stacy. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. And I love this this title, The Widow Wears Pink. Can you tell me a little bit about how you came up with that? Absolutely. You know, it was funny. I the, the whole reason the blog came about, I was literally just chatting with a girlfriend on the phone and I kind of just threw it out there. I'm like, maybe I should write a blog. And she totally encouraged me and she said, absolutely do it right now. And I started <laughs> laughing. I'm like, are you kidding me? And she said, no, really, Google how to start a blog and do it. And, and that is what I did. And then I was on the phone with her. 
And I was like, okay, now I need a name. And we went back and forth and I happened to love the color pink. Mm. So I kind of took it off of the Devil Wears Prada and I just kind of changed it to the Widow Wears Pink. And that's kind of where it came from and it stuck. And Mm. I actually love it. It sounds like it fits really perfectly because, you know, I'm going to ask you to tell the story, but there was a big transition um, between your life when your husband was alive and then now, which is so different than you could have imagined. Oh, absolutely. I feel like I'm almost a different person than I was eight years ago. Tell us the story. So eight years ago, I was a stay-at-home mom. I had two adorable little girls, a wonderful husband. I had like your typical suburban life. And my husband went out for a run and he came home, said he wasn't feeling well, went upstairs to lie down and I heard this crash and I went upstairs and he had collapsed on the floor and I called 911 and he had had a heart attack and he passed away in the hospital like within the first few minutes he was there. So obviously this was a horrible, horrible, complete tragedy. I mean, my poor daughters, they were 10 and 12 at the time. And, you know, they had to deal with it. I had to deal with it. It was unexpected. It was really, really horrible, as anyone could imagine. Um, I had a few rough years. You know, the first few years were definitely very rough. It was, you know, my children went through a lot. My older daughter especially had a very hard time handling it. She was... 12 and you know an adolescent girl just turning a teenager you know that's a tough time anyway and to deal with this on top of it she really went through a lot um but as we all went through therapy and as we all kind of started coming out of this shock and this horrible sadness of it all and kind of moving towards like they say a new normal Mm -hmm. um i felt I needed something different, like something needed to shift in me because my life had definitely shifted. So that's when I thought I'd start a blog. I had never written before, but I'd always, I've been an avid reader my whole life and I've always had stories in my head. And I said, you know what, maybe this is the time to start it. And that's what I did. Mm-hmm. Your blog is so, it's so, um, friendly and accessible and it's almost like you're having coffee with a friend when you read it thank you you know it's funny like i said i never wrote before and when i started it you know my friends of course all liked it and you know they were reading it and you know within the first few weeks all of a sudden it was being shared and people were commenting and people i didn't know and when i first knew i had something was when a woman from I live in New Jersey, a woman from Florida contacted me that her husband had passed away within the first few months. And she somehow stumbled upon my blog and she started sharing it and telling me how it helped her and it was helping her get through her loss. And she was thanking me and then she started calling me for advice as she was going through things. And we kind of formed this little bond over the phone. And I never met her. I still never met her. But that's when I knew I had something. And then little by little, it started happening with more widows. And I, I was, I honestly, I was surprised. Like mm. like I said, I'd never done this before, but I guess I struck a chord. It was, 
I wasn't, um, you know, an older woman who lost a husband. I was younger. I, you know, didn't have very, very young children, but I didn't have adult children either. It was somewhere in the middle. And I guess nobody had written anything about this kind of situation before. And I, I guess I struck a nerve. Mm-hmm. So it resonated with more people than you ever imagined. Oh, definitely. Like I said, I really thought it would just be like my friends and my family. And I would stop at that and I would write a few times and that would be the end of it. But it really resonated. And I you know I was thrilled that it did. I was happy that I was helping other people. It's like it really does make you feel so good. Mm. You know, as a psychotherapist, I I often talk to people who are going through really intense grief and loss, and sometimes they they say they don't know how they're going to get through it. You know, you're you're brought to your knees. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how you got through it? Oh, I wish I could. I wish I knew. Um, yeah. No, I. I said the same thing. I remember the night it happened, the first few weeks it happened. I I said, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Like there was no way in hell. It's funny. I always tell this story. My mom, um, when it happened, my parents kind of swooped in and they, you know, stayed with us for a little while. And right after the funeral, my best friend who's known me my whole, my whole life told me that she went up to my, that my mother went up to her and said, I'm so worried about Stacy. I don't think she can handle this. And Mm. my friend said to her, Yes, she can. Your daughter is much stronger than you realize. And when my friend Wendy, when she came back and told me, repeated the story to me, I looked at her and I said, my mother's right. I can't do this. And she said, no, your mother's wrong. I'm right. You can do this. And it wasn't easy. You know, like I said, those first few years were, you know, I could never go back and relive them. They were extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. But you find this resilience and you find this strength, especially, Mm -hmm. I think, when you're a mother. Um, I had to put myself, I wanted to put myself second, and I had to put my daughters first. Mm -hmm. And that, for those first two, three, four years, that's all I did. There was nothing else that mattered to me. And I, the, Thing that I always said was all I want is for them to grow up and be happy, healthy, mentally healthy, successful people in life, despite what happened to them. You went into like survival mode, right? Oh, you you did like mama bear and, and that focus, that laser focus on protecting your cubs. Maybe that helped you too. So you could sort of you know, I, I get think through. it let me kind of put my own grief and my own fears aside mm-hmm. because I was so laser focused on them. And that was all that mattered to me. And, uh, you know, people would say to me, especially those first few weeks or months, uh, you know, I had friends said to me, oh, I don't know how you're doing this. I wouldn't get out of bed. And I said, yes, you would. I said, mm-hmm. I would have said the same thing. But when you have kids, you do what you have to do. And I would get out of bed, like having not slept the night before, like bags under my eyes, didn't get dressed like a disaster, but I would make sure to get up, get my kids to school, give them breakfast Mm -hmm. and make sure their day was as normal as it possibly could be. Thank goodness for your kids, because it might have looked very different if you had not had your, your girls. You know what? It's so interesting. My grandmother, my mother's mother, My mother's father actually passed away when he was the same age as my husband was, 48. And 
my but my grandmother had children a lot younger than I did. So her children were older. Like my mom, I was born already. I was two. My mom was in her 20s. My aunt was in her 20s. And my aunt said something to to me when it first happened um, that, you know, comparing me to my grandmother. And I said, yeah, but she didn't have to deal with young kids. And she said, you know what? It's going to sound horrible, but not that it's better, but she had her own stuff to deal with differently because she was 100% alone. You know, you have something to focus on. And she kind of compared it that way. And I was like, wow, I, I never thought of it that way. But she was right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, like she, you know, didn't have anybody at home. She was alone. All her friends were married. Um, and, you know, she didn't know what to do with herself. Right. At least I no had that focus of my kids. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Right, right. Hi, Zestful Agers. I'll be attending the International Federation of Aging's 15th Global Conference on Aging in November of 2020. And if you're interested in improving your understanding of age-friendly environments, debating solutions to address inequalities, confronting the reality of ageism, and delving into what it means to enable the functional ability of an older person, head over to ifa2020.org to find out more. There's an early bird special on until the end of the year, so take advantage and join me in Niagara Falls. I'll see you there. So you talk a little bit in your blog about, and it's a very funny uh, post about hot yoga. <laughs> has, has that been part of your recovery or, or healing? Yes, my later healing. Like, um, I actually found hot yoga through my blog. A widow, also very similar situation to mine, who happened to live in the same town as me, read my blog and got in touch with me, same as that woman from Florida, but she happened to live right here. And we spoke on the phone and she told me what it was really helping her was hot yoga. And I laughed and I'm like, oh, I could never do that. Mm. And she said, oh, I didn't think I could either come with, we had never met, come with me, I'll meet you there, we'll go, I'll get you a mat, I'll do it all for you, just come (laughs) with me. And I was like, are you kidding? And somehow she, I don't know how she did it, but she convinced me and I went to this class I don't know if you've ever done hot yoga before, but it is hot. <laughs> <laughs> There's no false advertising there. No, it is 95 degrees in oh, this room with wow. 40% humidity. Ooh, it is like a like shower. A summer day. And it's the first time I did this and she's moving and she's doing all the stuff next to me. And I'm looking at her like, are you kidding? <laughs> But the instructor She's not she took, sweating though, right? She's just perspiring. No, she she was sweating. But <laughs> but like happily sweating. Very yeah. happily sweating. And the instructor that she had um taken me to this class was a friend became a friend of hers and she told her that I was new and everything and she was so helpful and she like kinda guided me through the first class. And then I, you know, when I left there, I was beyond disgusting and sweating and <laughs> thought I was gonna pass out. But I'm like, you know what? there was some little part of me that kind of liked it and I just kept going back and I 
really, really love it. It's definitely, I'm still beyond disgusting sweating. Like that does yeah. not change. Right. And I'm exhausted when I leave there. And there are sometimes in middle of class, I'm like, are they kidding me? Like still, oh. but there's something about it that just keeps bringing me back. And it's, it's very helpful. It really is. It kind of calms you and takes you away from everything for a while. Mm -hmm. You can't really focus on anything else, but, you know, trying to get through it and not pass out. It's true. It's true. Everything else in your head goes away because all I keep ah. thinking is, okay, now how am I going to get myself into that position <laughs> in this heat? <laughs> That's all you think about. Oh, goodness. It's radical yoga. It totally is. Wow. But it's it's nice. It's, and you know what? It's something else about it that I love. And uh, my friends will probably listen to this, but I do it alone. I don't do it with my friends. They don't, none of them do it. It's just me. And I go there and you know, I've met people there and there are people I definitely talk to in the classes, but it's my thing. It's, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not doing it with my kids or my friends or my boyfriend or mm. anything. It's just me. And I like mm -hmm. that. That's really, that sounds really important that you're carving out a little time to do something that's really difficult. But then I'm guessing that there's a sense of accomplishment. Like I got through it. I'm going to take a shower and good for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. When I leave that class, I'm like, woohoo, I did it like every yeah. single time. And this is like, I've been doing it for three years now. And I still feel like that when I leave a class. Oh, my goodness. And Tell when I when I kind of conquer a new pose that I couldn't really do before. Ah. That's also I'm like, Oh, my God, I, I look, look what I did. Oh, like, yeah. it's, it's nice. Yeah, that sounds that sounds really helpful. Tell me a little bit about your website that you started last year, Living the Second Act. Uh, yes. What's that all about? Um, through my blog, through The Widow Wears Pink, um, uh, editor of a lifestyle magazine reached out to me and asked me to write for them. And I did. And she and I kind of got this little email friendship going and we we became like friends without ever having met each other. She lived in Boston. I live in New Jersey. And she emailed me once a few months later and told me she was leaving her position. And she kind of threw in there, oh, I'm thinking about starting something on my own. So without even thinking, like, honestly, I didn't even think about writing this. I wrote her back and I said, do you want a partner? And she said, absolutely. Mm. And the next thing I know, we had never met we brainstormed and we came up with this name and our theme and you know where we wanted to go with it and it was born last may 1st so it's going to be almost a year now and we have definitely evolved you know it's it's tough starting out like this and we had you know some bugs and some things along the way but for the most part we've really grown in a year and what we've been realizing is what does really well for us and what people really, really want to read are those deep personal stories, like tragedy, mm. triumph over the tragedy oh, and mm -hmm. those kind of things. And that's what we are really starting to focus on now because mm -hmm. we have had a lot of those stories, you know, not just written by me and Mimi, but written by, we have other writers writing for us. And when those stories come out, people really, really want to read them. Mm -hmm. Like we had one story of a, a mom, a suburban mom who was an alcoholic and 
really um her life almost fell apart and then she kind of pulled it back together she goes to aa and that touched such a nerve it people just want to hear how people get over Mm -hmm. or get through something like that and you know that what i say to clients and i firmly believe is being an adult is hard you know even if you don't have a massive tragedy there's so many challenges and so many worries and it's it's very filled with anxiety and i think you know people want to hear like there, there are things I can do. This can end well. I have more power than I imagine, you know, kind of like a, a, a heroine story. Absolutely. And that's what we want our stories and what our stories are becoming. It is a lot of heroin and it is sometimes just everyday stuff like having a bad day or, you know, something going wrong with your kids, just something that stresses you out so much, but Mm. you figure out how to get through it. You know, everybody has their own stuff. And I think people do like to read how others get through it. Mm -hmm. So here you find yourself now with this blog that's reaching people in different states who you don't know, who you're becoming friendly with, (laughs) and now a website, um, uh, with with your writing partner, what else do you see for your future? What are you hoping for? I would like, um, what I would really like, we really want the site Living the Second Act to kind of take off. We want it to get to a place where it almost has a life of its own, where people will know who we are and what we're trying to say. And, mm-hmm. and we want to help others, you know, especially women, but we have men writers too. And we want people to see us as, oh, well, I read on Living the Second Act, you know, someone who Mm. went through so-and-so situation and they got through it. So I can do it. I can go through that too. A source of inspiration. We totally want to be a source of inspiration. That's exactly it. We would like to be a source of inspiration. And then personally, um, my daughter, I have one daughter that's a freshman in college now and one who's a senior. In, I mean, I'm sorry, she's a sophomore in college now. And uh, another one who's a senior in high school who's going off to college next year. So I'm going to be an empty nester, which oh is, you know, a little scary, mm. um, a little exciting. You know, you know, like I said, I've been a single mom for almost eight years with these girls. And, you know, I don't want them to leave me because I, Mm, they're mine but I also I also do want to kind of see where I am and where I'm gonna go now now that they're you know moving on in their lives you know it's time for me to do the same so see what happens with that I do have a boyfriend now and you know I want to see where our relationship goes when it's just you know no kids around anymore Mm, so mm -hmm. it'll, it'll be an interesting transition Mm, you wrote about it in one of your blog posts about um, bringing your daughter to college. Oh, God. <laughs> that was really, really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a really tough day. She, it was a tough few weeks, actually. She, you know, I live in suburbia, and in where I live, you know, these kids, there's a, about 20, 25 colleges that, they find acceptable and they like to go to one of those and it's just kind of where I live what is common Mm -hmm. and 
she did not get into her first choice, which was a horrible disappointment. So she chose her backup and she got there. Well, before she got there, her, she had found a roommate, you know, that's what they do now. I think it's so much easier when we were young and we get no idea who our roommate was and you just walked in and you got what you got. Make it work. Yeah. <laughs> but they find them and she did find found this lovely girl who they were excited. They were decorating the room together, the whole thing. And the girl called her 48 hours before we were leaving for school and said that she wasn't going to come. She wasn't oh. coming to school. Oh. She had some kind of health issue you know i don't know exactly what it was but she wasn't coming to school so my daughter who had already been through you know with her father dying and this is the daughter that went through so much Mm -hmm. um this was the last thing she needed and it we got her up there anyway moved her in she cried the whole time oh my goodness it was a disaster you know you walk up and down the halls and you see all these you know roommates setting up rooms together and she didn't it was the worst it was she cried the whole time i almost took her home that day because she was so hysterical but in, at in the end at the end of the day she said i was beyond proud of her she said i'm gonna stick it out i'm gonna try was she far from home? She was only three and a half hours. That's was, far. That's far. <laughs> it is far. My other daughter was like getting on a plane and flying. So th- this oh. one to me was close, but she was three and a half hours away. So we left and we left her there and she tried it and she stayed for three weeks. And it was like a week that we thought it was kind of moving in the right direction. But she finally called me and hysterical. And she said, besides the fact that she was just not happy there, it wasn't the school for her and the roommate situation. And she also, what she really wanted was to go into fashion. She's always had like a flair for fashion. And the school didn't even have what she wanted because it wasn't her first choice. There was just so much. Mm. So she decided she wanted to go to like a fashion college in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, we live right near so she, I took her home. She took one semester off. She applied to school. She got in. And now she's in um, school in the city. And she's very, very happy, thank God. Mm, and in the middle of it, it doesn't feel like, oh, this is going to have a happy ending. No. Right? It feels like I'm in a new ring of hell right yes. now. That day, those actually those whole three weeks, but especially mm. that day we moved her in, it was hell. Like Mm. there was, I was crying. I was like on the floor at one point crying because it was so horrible. And, you know, people said to me, oh, you shouldn't let her come home and you should, she should be tough and she should do this. Mm. And I'm like, you know what? You got to know your own kid. Mm -hmm. And I knew this wasn't right. And I'm just, I like, I'm not listening to anyone and I'm just doing what I got to do. And I did it. Mm -hmm. But it was also, it's one of those times where, you know what? her dad should have been there helping us and helping uh, her and you know maybe he would have helped her pick a different school like things might have been so different so that was the other thing like sitting there moving her in and it just it was bad <laughs> oh my goodness you know i appreciate your honesty because people will say you know it's hard to have your kid go to college and it's hard i mean it is hard in a way like you are in a fetal position yes you are like i have a a a client said i just started walking by my son's empty room and not crying that was six months ago you know what i mean it's like it's it's such a it's such a crazy system where you give 
everything to them and you love them beyond what you can imagine and then you're supposed to launch them i mean yeah. who, who, who who came up with this system it's crazy <laughs> it's crazy it's totally crazy mm. and you know and like i said it's, it's the, the consensus is always oh let them stick it out and let mm. them try and let them this and you know in some instances maybe that is the right thing to do but mm-hmm. you know you got to go with your gut and i mm. knew she needed to come home yeah. Do you feel like you're more in tune with your gut now because you've had to be, you're the, you know, you're the main you're oh, the parent. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's also, I, it's also partially, yes, I am the only parent and yeah, I am, I think I'm very, very close with my daughters because I am the only parent. Not saying that I wouldn't be either if I wasn't, but mm-hmm. you know, I always say to my friends, I'm like, well, I'm their only option. You know, they're not running to somebody else and saying, mommy's being mean to me. Like <laughs> <laughs> I'm all they got. So, yeah. you know what? So we are very close. And it's also, I think it's um, as you grow older and as your kids go, grow older, I think parenting changes. And I just know when my, me personally, when my kids were little, I was very nervous and I was very, um, you know, I should be doing this and I'm not doing this right. And I have to do this right. And, you know, worrying about what everybody else was doing. And, you know, partially after how he died. And also I think just growing into myself, I don't care anymore. Not that I don't care about mm-hmm. them, but I don't care how I do things. I do things the way I want to do them. And that's it. And it sounds like, I mean, not to make too many generalizations and assumptions, but it sounds like, you know, you're living near Manhattan in New Jersey, and there are a lot of eyes on you. You know, there's a whole thing about status, and we do it this way, and, you know, there's schools you're supposed to be going to, and um, I'm, I'm making Absolutely. assumptions here, but um, no. having no, lived, right. grown up outside of New York, I kind of know the scene. And um, it sounds like you're saying, yeah, I see, I see what the norm is here. I see what, you know, the protocol is, but I think I'm going to do it this way. Yeah. And that's exactly it. And I'm not saying I'm like this radical, like crazy, you know, <laughs> that I'm doing things so different than everybody yeah. else. I'm definitely not. You're not but... off the grid or anything. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> but I do think I, you know, it's funny. My daughters call me a cool mom. Um, and uh-huh. I'm not, I'm not a cool mom in the fact that, you know, I'm letting them drink in my house and throw parties <laughs> and all that, you know, I'm not right. that kind of cool mom. Right. But I do I try to deal with them in my own way and Mm -hmm. handle things in my own way. And I think they appreciate that. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not like very strict and I'm not like this should be done this way and this has to be done that way. I just, I kind of wing it, honestly. Mm. Um, You know, and I hope it works. And most of the time it does seem Mm. to work. Like going with my gut and just Mm kind of knowing my own kids and myself and trusting yourself that, you know, maybe it's not perfect, but it's, you know, it's working and and it's it's certainly good enough. Yes. And it is hard. And it's interesting that you lived around here, too. It is hard living where I live. And, you know, people expect a lot. And, you know, I always use the example of my older daughter with her grades. Um, she always struggled a little bit in school. 
Um, her dad used to help her a lot when she was younger. He, he really had a lot of patience with her. Um, and as she got older and after her dad died, I, she had so many issues with like her mental health and dealing with her father um, that school to me took a backseat. And yeah. I'm not saying, oh, you know, she was failing everything, but if she was getting, you know, C's, I was okay with that because her health and her mental health were so much more important to me mm -hmm. than her, her getting A's and B's. I see. And, and she did, you know, she did sometimes get A's and B's, but like if something slipped through the crack, cracks, it slipped through the cracks. If she didn't do amazing on a test, that was okay because to me, that wasn't the most important thing in the world. There was so many mm -hmm. other things going on with her. And I think that mindset is so not acceptable around here. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, that everything is your grades and you have to have this and you have to go to this school. And, you know, mm -hmm. I just, I, I couldn't do that. And you know what? I had to do it work for her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're an independent thinker. Yeah, it's funny because I, if you would have said that to me eight years ago, I would have laughed at you but no mm -hmm. now I am it's very mm -hmm. funny right so what what do you want other new widows to know Stacy <laughs> um that it sucks you know mm -hmm. that's what I, I started one of my early early blogs with that it sucks it mm -hmm. was 100 percent sucks mm -hmm. and I'm not gonna sit here and ever tell anyone oh you'll be fine mm -hmm. um because it's not that simple I wasn't fine for a really long time um, but as time goes on, I think you almost need to do something for yourself. And there's a lot of like, I did an interview with somebody once talked about self care. And I think that's very important. And yes, my focus was laser focused on my kids for a long time. But it was when I kind of started then taking care of myself. And when I started writing that I really felt I was better and I was go getting through it. Sounds um, like the writing was therapeutic for you. Oh, definitely. The uh -huh. writing was definitely therapeutic mm -hmm. for me. And the whole thing with helping others is really therapeutic for me. It really gives me a purpose that I don't know if I had before. I see. Um, so I think I would say, you know, do something for yourself. Take something for yourself. Like have something that's yours. I think it's very important. And yes, like I, I wasn't going to say, yes, you'll get through it, but you do. And, and time does heal all wounds and it's never going to go away. You know, that's something that's always going to be with me and it's mm -hmm. always going to be with my kids, but it's not going to define me forever. It's just mm -hmm. a part of me. Yeah. It's a chapter in your life. Yeah. Yeah. It was a rough chapter, but um, it's, it's getting better. It, mm -hmm. it does get better. Where can people uh, find you and read your blogs and, and look at your website? Where's your What's your contact information? Um, my blog is www.thewidowwearspink.com. Mm -hmm. okay. And Living the Second Act is www.livingthesecondact.com. Okay. And um, I can be reached at editor at livingthesecondact.com. Okay. And uh, mm -hmm. if anyone wants to write for, like we're always looking for new writers and mm -hmm. if anyone ever would think about writing their story, we would love to hear from sure. you. Sure, 
Sure. I think that's a great invitation. Yeah, no, Lovely. it is. It's, it's mm-hmm. great. I, I, like I said, writing has helped me through this. And if you have any interest in sharing your story, mm-hmm. we would love to have you. Well, that's a great invitation. Thank you so much for sharing your story and, and for being so honest and, you know, really laying it out there and in, in sort of real language and real feelings that people can identify with. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was, this was lovely. It really was. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. In this phase of our lives, we're more aware that our time is precious, and we certainly don't want to waste it taking care of stuff that we no longer need, left over from a life that we are no longer living. We know we would feel better with less clutter and more open space, but we don't know how to get there. If this sounds familiar, I'd love you to check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer, Carrie Luteran. This course is different than others you may have tried because we give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and tools to help you face the overwhelm and feelings that come up when you're going through your clutter. It's practical and realistic, and the lessons are short and punchy and very manageable, but it has the power to change your life. We all deserve to live in a peaceful home without the chaos of too much stuff. Find out more at NicoleChristina.com. And next week, we're going to hear from John Leyland, who's a New York Times columnist and the author of Happiness is a Choice. It's a fascinating book where John interviews and spends time among the oldest old and learns some really beautiful lessons that uh, are life-changing. I think you're really going to enjoy that. See you then. 